Masechet Nedarim, Daf Mem Aleph. We have a few more agadot and uh, teachings about visiting the sick and sickness itself. And then we'll see the next Mishnah. Amar Rabbi Alexandri, Amar Rabbi Chiyabad Abba. We're going to see a few teachings in the name of these sages. A sick person will not get better until all his sins are forgiven. It seems that through the, uh, the sickness itself and the suffering that comes along with it acts as an atonement for sins. And so therefore, once the sins are atoned for, the person can also get better. Says, Hashem forgives all your iniquities and heals your sickness. So they're put here side by side to say that they come uh, together. Uh, that once a person's uh, sins are forgiven, then uh, because they're forgiven, then he doesn't deserve the punishment of the sickness anymore and he can get better. Aravuna says goes even a step further and says that the person who gets who was sick and gets better uh, actually he goes back to the way he was when he was young. Uh, he actually can kind of reverse his aging process and feel even better than he was before he was sick. And this is based on a pasuk in Iyov that says his flesh is tenderer than a child's. He returns to the day of his youth. Um, uh, good. Here we quote the pasuk first and then its explanation. Uh, so pasuk in Tehilim uh, says uh, the you have God has overturned all of his beddings uh, because of his sickness. Rav Yosef says that it explains that that means that a person forgets his studies. Well, some, some sicknesses can affect one's mind and one's memory. And so when the person gets sick with such a sickness, then they, uh, can, they can lose, they forget their Torah. Uh, so it seems that the Torah is compared to a, a, a bed that's made. Everything is nice and in its place because when you learn, then you know what's here, what's there, and everything is uh, ordered. And uh, through the sickness, uh, his bed gets all messed up. I mean, literally, if a person's in bed, is in bed for a while, their bedding is going to get messed up. Um, but uh, the parallel is that also it will affect their mind and they will lose their study. So now a couple of stories about sages who uh, forgot their Torah. Rav Yosef halash yakarle tamode. Rav Yosef was sick and his study was uprooted, meaning forgotten. But Abaye, who was a student, reviewed it with his teacher and says, you taught me this, you taught me that, and thereby was able to recover Rav Yosef's memory by reteaching Rav Yosef everything that Rav Yosef had taught Abaye. And that's why we find several times throughout the Talmud that um, that, uh, that um, uh, Rav Yosef says, I never heard this teaching. Right? Someone comes and says something to him, says, I never heard that before. And then Abaye will say, actually, you did. You're the one that taught it to us, taught it to us in the first place. And it was based on this Braita. That's how you derived it. And you explained it in this way. And so you see that um, we have ex many examples where Abaye reminded Rav Yosef of, of what Rav Yosef had originally taught Abaye himself. And now we have a really fascinating 
Agada that's very deep um, about Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. We know that he is the composer of the Mishnah. Before before that, before the Mishnah, there were lots of compositions and and collections of uh, oral law. Tanish Tana had its own his own curriculum, and so Rabbi had to gather all these together, and uh, they actually continued to exist in the form of uh, of uh, various the uh, Tosefta and other Taned Rabbi Chia and other collections of Baraitot. So anyway, Rabbi Udanasi he learned and knew thirteen sets of halachot, um, and so he knew them all by all by heart himself, and he taught his student Rabbi Chia seven of them. But he didn't get a chance to teach the rest because the sof chalash rabbi and hada rabbi chia kame anhu shiva aped agmere. And so rabbi became sick and he forgot all of his learning. So luckily rabbi chia, who did, who did learn seven of them, rabbi chia repeated them back to rabbi and recovered rabbi's knowledge of seven out of the thirteen. But the other six were seemingly lost for good. Ishita azdu, six were lost. However, Havahu Kasra, there was a laundryman. And the laundryman was around Rabbi Udanasi often, and he was listening when Rabbi Udanasi would repeat the study. The way you learn it by heart is you keep repeating it again and again, and the laundryman was around that often that uh, he, he picked up on it, he paid attention, and the laundryman was able to learn the other six of the sets of uh, um, uh, orders of study by heart. And so Rabbi Chia went and he learned those halachot from the launderer. And then Rabbi Chia um, then uh, transmitted them back to Rabbi himself. So now Rabbi and Rabbi Chia knew all 13. Whenever Rabbi would see that launderer, he would say uh, to him, you have made me and the laundry without with and the Without you, we would have lost our Torah. So you revived us. Or a slightly different version. Rabbi Chia said, said to the launderer, you uh, made Chia, and Chia has made me. Right? Without a person's learning, a sage, without his learning, is who is he? And so you remade me by, by reminding us of the Torah. So, you know, thank you for paying attention while doing the laundry. Okay, it's interesting that laundrymen come up in a lot of stories. We know that there was a laundryman uh, that would visit Rabbi every day, and um, uh, the whole story when Rabbi died, and the, the launderer then uh, went and died on the same day. And um, you wonder why why a launderer, in this case, other cases too. It seems that a launderer was on the one hand a low-class uh, person, a menial labor, and involved very smelly, dirty clothes all day. And the main detergent back then was urine, so they had to go and collect a lot of it. And so on the one hand, this kind of low-class, simple person, you, you figure not learned. On the other hand, uh, the laundrymen were, uh, were paid very well, and so they would be wealthy. They were always well-dressed because they knew the value of uh, dressing in nice, clean clothes. And they were always had nearby rich people because who, after all, is um, doing most of the hiring of the laundrymen. So they're kind of a low class that are very closely associated with high class. And so they, these are like the um, uh, people who are not so learned but have a close relationship with, uh, with, with the sages 
languages themselves. And so they're kind of this in-between category where, yeah, it's possible that even this person unexpectedly, even though he's just a laundryman and, and ignorant, but all of a sudden he can be a person who was, because he's around the sage, the, the sage he has a close relationship with Rabbi, and even that close that he's around him so much that he can learn the and memorize his Torah better than Rabbi Chia, his number one student. Okay, so really amazing story. A lot here about the anxiety about forgetting Torah, um, both one's, one's own Torah and intergenerationally. Uh, so it says, says a lot about what the rabbis were thinking about and what they were fearful of, um, but the promise of uh, reviving Torah one way or another. Same sage says, He says, Greater is the miracle that happens to a sick person who gets better, is greater than the miracle that happened to Daniel's three friends, They're the ones that were thrown into the fire by Nebuchadnezzar, but they were miraculously saved. Why is it greater? Because those three people, they were thrown into a human-made fire. Anyone can extinguish such a fire, right? You bring a fire extinguisher, some sandbags, some water, you can extinguish it. So that's not such a big deal. It's still miraculous to be uh, thrown into the fire and come out just fine. But a greater miracle, that fire of a sick person is made from heaven. We're talking about a fever. That's an internal heat. And who can, who can extinguish a fever? They didn't have uh, you know, Advil back then. Um, but uh, this is internal fire. We, it, it's made by heaven. No one can, uh, can extinguish it. So when a person has a fever, is sick, and gets better, that's an even greater miracle. All right, what a beautiful idea. So they teach in the name of Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi that when a person's end has come, when their time has come and their um, it's decreed that that's it, they should die. They don't necessarily die from one particular thing or another, sometimes a sickness, but the point is that when it's their time, anyone who finds them can kill them. Uh, any animal, any disease, any bug, any, right, any accident, natural disaster. Um, and, uh, as we, and we know this from Cain who says, now that I'm sentenced to death because I'm a murderer, anyone who finds me will kill me. In other words, usually when a person is alive and it's not their time yet, even though there are dangers around, but they have a certain amount of protection, animals will be afraid of the person and uh, natural disasters will, will uh, somehow have a, he'll find a way to keep uh, safe from them. Um, but then once a person's time is decreed, then all these dangers that are always there will not hold back and will uh, will get him. Rav agrees with the idea, but learns it from a different pasuk. It says, uh, they stand this day according to your judgment, meaning all the, all the animals and forces in the world, everything follows your commandment, Hashem, right? Your judgment, because everything in the world are your servants. And therefore, it's in a way kind of more direct. 
that once a person's time has come, it's not that God has to, you know, it's not just they, that they drop dead automatically, it's that some force but in the world, something in the world, but everything in the world is a servant of God, will come after him and uh, do that and do the uh, execution um, because of God's judgment. <clears throat> now we have a couple of stories that show it and quote the same pasuk. Regarding Rabba Barshela, people uh, said to him that some guy died. And the way this guy died was very unusual, so that's why they told him about it. He was a tall man riding a small mule. So since he's so tall, it would be like, you know, a, a tall person riding a little bike. It's hard to fall off a little bike if you're so tall because you could just put, you put your feet down and stand up. And so it would be unusual for a person to die in such a way. But look at this guy, Metati Torta Istavet. They got to a bridge and this uh, mule was frightened. And a, when he, st he stopped short and pulled up and cast off the rider, and this rider died. When Rabbi Barshela heard the story, he quoted this pasuk that everything in the world stands there according to your judgment. So, even this very unusual way of dying, this person should have been able to just stand up and be okay. Um, but when, I, when Hashem, Hashem decrees that it's a person's time to go, even something unlikely, uh, small uh, risk will be the end of him. Shemuel Shemuel saw a frog, in Aramaic is krokita, which sounds like to croak, it's an onomatopoeia, of the sound that the frog makes, and he saw that there was a scorpion sitting on the frog, hitching a ride, crossing the river, because scorpion can't cross, cross the river, so it goes on the, uh, on the back of the frog. And then the scorpion stung a person, and the guy died. So you see that they work together, because the frog can't uh, kill anyone, and the scorpion can't cross the river, but Hashem arranged it that they'll get together, and one will give the other a lift, and they'll go and kill the person. Shemuel was wondrous that, see, everything in the world serves Hashem, and when it's that time's guy to die, even the scorpion across the river will get a lift, and um, God's judgment will be fulfilled. Uh, so more advice about visiting a, a sick person. Shemuel says, who was a doctor himself, you should visit a sick person only if he was overcome by a fever. Right Then it's appropriate when uh, we visit someone with a fever, um, uh, uh, him talking and being visited will help him. What does that exclude? That one, this Baraita says, you should not visit someone who has an intestinal disease or an eye illness or has a headache. Why? If a person has intestinal disease, and he'll be embarrassed because he's gonna have, he has to go to the bathroom. He's not gonna, he's not able to control himself. If he has visitors. He's gonna feel embarrassed from the visitors. So leave him in with his privacy. 
Um, but what about having uh, an eye ache or a, or a headache? Why shouldn't you visit them? Because Rav Yudah said that speech is bad for your eyes, but beneficial for, for a fever. Uh, if, you, if someone has uh, an ache in his eye, probably he wants to keep his eye closed, and then when you go visit him, he's going to have to open his eye. And the same thing with a headache. When someone has a headache, they don't want to hear noise, they don't want to talk, they don't want to hear people talking to him. Um, eye ache and headaches often come together. So when someone has either of these, they don't want visitors. They want to be able to just rest with their eyes closed in the quiet, and that'll be better for them. So don't go and visit and then force them to um, to talk and make their condition worse. All right, so Rava uh, says that a fever um, were not that it was a messenger of the angel of death, uh, meaning a fever, if it gets high, can be seriously dangerous and can cause death. Um, so, so fever is not good because of that. However, if not for that, meaning if you can survive a fever, then it actually is as beneficial for a person like thorns are for a palm tree. Just like the palm tree has thorns and that prevents animals and people from touching it and taking the dates. That's a, thorns are a good protection. So too is a fever. A fever is beneficial for a person. And this is true. The reason why the body has a fever is because it's raising the temperature in order to kill off various bacteria and germs um, that cannot survive in, the, in that hot temperature. So it is definitely a defense mechanism. Uh, the problem is that if the defense mechanism lasts too long and goes, goes too high, then it can kill the person themselves. But if it doesn't kill you, then it will literally make you better. Um, okay, if the fever, so this fever that's good is good if it's once every 30 days. Um, uh, then it's like an antidote to poison. Tiraiki, this was a well-known antidote to, uh, to snake venom and it was used for all kinds of things. It was known as a wonder drug. And so just like this, uh, this antidote can cure poison, so too a fever, if it's only once in 30 days, can cure all kinds of diseases. So it could be a good thing, although it is quite dangerous. Rav Nachman said, I'd rather not have the fever and not have its curing ability and not have its antidote, right? I'd rather, whatever the sickness is, I'd rather have that sickness than the uh, negative effects of the fever itself, which is, I guess, what we agree with because when we have a fever, we take medication to take away the fever and, uh, you know, we'll take care of the other sickness with antibiotics or, 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 has, uh, or whatever other way. Um, but the fever is not particularly um, good. We don't, we'd rather not have the fever and any beneficial effects that it has. Okay, but that's, uh, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of uh, uh, treatments uh, do affect the body negatively. Pretty much uh, any, any treatment has uh, side effects that will, um, will harm us in some way, but hopefully the benefit for them is better than the harm. Okay, Amar Arsan Yafele Hole 
So this thing called arsan is beneficial for a sick person to cure him. What is it? My arsan. Old hold barley from the beginning of the sifting process. Okay. And you have to take this barley. It's very tough. You have to cook it a lot as much as bull meat. Bull meat requires a lot of cooking and also this, uh, these barley husks. Rav Yosef Amar Simide de Sa'are Atikata Deresh Nafya. Another opinion, Arsan is actually fine flour also from old barley at the beginning of the sifting process. But this one also requires to be cooked a lot like bull meat. If someone has this disease called burdam, it's not boredom, because if someone is bored, then you should go visit them. But rather, uh, this disease, intestinal disease, you should not visit the person, and it's so embarrassing, you shouldn't even mention the name of it. You shouldn't say, this guy has burdam, because it's embarrassing. Now, my tama, what's so embarrassing about it? A person that has it is like a flowing spring, meaning he has a lot of diarrhea. See, you don't even want to say it in English. And so you don't want to visit that person because it's embarrassing. He's gonna he can't control himself and he doesn't want visitors. Why is it called Burdam? It's actually prob- probably a Greek word that does have something to do with me, meaning filled with blood. But we're making a play on the word board, like a board, and dam. Uh, dam, so meaning a, a pit full of blood that the person keeps on uh, expelling diarrhea mixed with blood. And so this is, this is uh, not a good disease. And uh, don't don't visit the guy, and don't, you don't have to tell anybody that the person has such a disease. Um, so now we're going all the way back to the Mishnah that if I have a vow that I can't give you any any benefit, I can still give you benefit, a cure of the soul, but not monetary cure. So what does that mean? What's the difference? So maybe refat nefesh means uh, for free. I can treat you and give you any medical treatment and benefit for free, but I can't charge you for it. If that's what it means to say, then say that outright. Say, I can heal you from a doctor or I know some, some remedy. I can heal you for free, but I can't, I can't charge you for it. Right? Say that. But Rifat Nefesh doesn't sound like it's talking about that. Rifat Nefesh is talking about he himself. And even if I made a vow, I'm not going to give you benefit, but to heal you, that's permitted. What's not allowed is something that will give you monetary benefit. That's healing your animal. Your animals, your sheep, that's your, that's your property. And by healing them, then you that increases their value. So I'm giving you monetary benefit. Um, that's what's not allowed. But curing your disease, that's not, uh, it's not, you can't uh, calculate how much that is worth. Um, that's just a favor that anybody would do if they can.
And so there's no there's no price on that, and that's permitted. Even for an animal, um, if if you happen to know um, so how to cure an animal, I can tell you. Listen, this medication is good for the animal. This medication is bad, and you figure out. You go, you know, and, and get it and find it. But I would not be able to actually administer it. So medical advice or uh, medical treatment, uh, medical advice, even for an animal, or medical treatment for a human being is not called something that's a monetizable um, item, right? A person's health is not um, is not uh, a financial benefit, but rather a life benefit, and therefore is permitted, even though there's a um, even though there's a vow that I cannot benefit that person. And now we get to the next Mishnah. Or if one person makes a vow not to benefit benefit to the other, then nevertheless, they can bathe together in a large bathtub or a big pool. That's no problem because not benefiting from each other, um, but not in a small one. So if the pool, for example, is not heated. And if it's a small one, then having one person there will heat up the water and that will benefit the other person. And that's, that will be a prohibited benefit. Uh, but if it's a big one, then uh, this, that will not be um, a, a ne- that the, the, the heating of that person will be negligible. And uh, two people can sleep in the same bed, even if one has uh, made a vow not to benefit from the other. That is the opinion of Tanakama. That's only true in the summer where it's hot out and so um, sleeping in the same bed will have no benefit. But not in the winter time when it's cold and then having a a second person in the bed to warm it up will be a benefit. Um, who's sleeping in the bed? It could be a husband and wife, and uh, they one might make a vow not to benefit from the other. But I think in the olden days it was more common for family members and friends to uh, to sleep in uh, in the same bed. It wasn't like uh, today where everyone needs their own bed. Um, even though one person is prohibited from benefiting from the other, um, they can rest on the same sofa and they can eat on the same table. Uh, however, they cannot eat from a common bowl in the middle. If there's a big you know, bowl of hummus and couscous like they used to eat, um, then if I eat more, uh, then you'll, if I eat less, then you'll, there'll be more for you. So I'm giving you a benefit. So that will be prohibited. But if it's a big platter that goes back, like if you're at a host's house and everybody takes a little, but there's leftovers because the host is very generous. It's not like we're splitting a dish in a restaurant where we're going to finish the whole thing, uh, but rather this is something that uh, the host goes back to the host and he sends it around again. And so there's always plenty. It's never going to run out. Then if even if I take less, you're not getting any more than you would have anyway. And in that case, it's permitted. All right, that's the Mishnah. The Gemara is going to quote a Braita that's simply going to elaborate on the very same cases. Tanya lo yirchas imo be'ambati ve'lo yishan imo be'mita ben gedola ben ketana dibre rebi meir. So we have rebi meir here who may or may not be the same as the Tanakama. There's a 
Machloket about that. Um, but here it says one should not, uh, uh, if there was a, 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 a vow one against another, they should not be bathing in the same uh, bathtub. Um, so that's certainly, certainly if it was small. Um, and also they should not sleep in the same bed. And for the bed, it makes no difference if it's large or small, according to the Bimeir. But Rebuda disagrees and says, if it's a big bed and it's in the winter, that's fine. Because the bed's so big that one person's body heat on this side of the bed will not help the person on the other side if it's a big bed. But if it's small bed, um, and it's, if it's a small bed and it's during the summertime, that's also permitted because in the summer you don't want to be hot. Uh, but if it will be a small bed in the winter, then that that's, that would be prohibited. And regarding the bathtub also, um, they can wash together in a large bathtub, uh, a pool that's cold. And so um, if it's cold and it's big, then your body heat on the other side, one side of the pool is not going to help me much on the other side of the pool. Um, and, but if it was small and it was a cold pool, then that would be a problem because I'm benefiting from body heat. However, if it's a hot bath, um, like a jacuzzi, and it's made for sweating, they, would, they, they thought it was um, ha- healthy to be hot and, and sweat. Oh, till today, people still go in the sauna or um, uh, steam room. So if it's that and it's uh, small, that's permitted because having an extra person in the uh, steam bath is not going to take away anything. It's not going to benefit any, anything from the other person. And so that's fine. And the same thing that we said in the Mishnah, they can lie down together on the same sofa, and they can eat together on the same table. But they can't share the same plate, because if one eats less, that benefits the other who's going to eat more. But they can eat from a common plate that will go back. What does that mean, that will go back? If it goes back to the host. And so there's plenty of food, and the host will refill it. If, there's, if they need more, then it's permitted for them to even eat from the same plate. Next Mishnah, if two, two people uh, are prohibited from benefit one from the other, then they cannot eat together from the same big vessel that workers would eat from. So that would be similar to this large platter, but that would be in a formal setting. This would be, you know, out in the field, there's this big thing and everybody eats from it. So same problem, one eating less will leave other more for the other. And they can't work together in the same row in the vineyard because if I work a little um, a little more, that's benefiting you, that you'll have to work a little less. Hachamim say, as long as we're far away from each other, that's okay, right? And then there's no direct benefit. Now, and so now we can explain that actually, even Rabbi Meir, who said, uh, Rabbi Meir said, um, it's not allowed at all. Chamim said, it's okay if you're far away. So if they're close, everyone agrees that it's prohibited. The machloket, kipligi berachok, the machloket is if you're far away. Rabbi Meir, wouldn't he agree that if we're far away, then really I'm not, there's no way I'm going to benefit you from working all the way down on the other side? He would agree, but Rabbi Meir says we should make a gezerah. If we allow two people to work together, 
far away, then, you know, they keep moving around and they're going to end up being close by at some point, and then one may benefit the other and will violate the vow. So therefore, we prohibit across the board. Um, after all, he is weakening the, 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 the dirt uh, in front of him. So even if I'm working far down the row, um, but I'm doing some digging, and that's weakening the, the dirt. So when you come along, even though you're far away and you're only going to come there for another hour, but still I loosen the dirt for you, and then that gives you a direct benefit. And so that's why um, Rabbi Meir says, even if it's far away, um, eventually I may come to that near that near to the spot that you were before, and then and then benefit from your work. But Abanan Rabbanan said, you don't have to worry about that. If it's far away, it's very unlikely that uh, some work that you do far away is actually going to benefit me in any direct way. And that's why Rabbanan say that that's permitted. Baruch Adonai Amen.